Let me begin by sharing with you a Christmas invitation. You may be seated if you would like. It is called Make Room. Make room. Let Christ be born in the quiet and innermost spaces of your heart. Make room. Let Christ be born in the streets and in the ghettos, in the famines and the plagues and in the wars. Make room. Let Christ be born not far away in distant ages, but in every heart and place where love and faith are found. Make room. Let Christ be born and find us in his Bethlehem. This is a Christmas um, invitational prayer that was written by an author in her book, A Journey Toward Home. And the prayer is called Making Room. Every time I hear the Christmas story as told in the Gospel of Luke, I see something different and I see a new perspective, some new theme. And tonight, as I read this gospel over and, and as I was preparing to preach, I thought about themes of preparing a space, making room, coming home. I want to begin by sharing with you a personal story from a priest colleague of ours as he and his wife made plans to retire this past year. They were contemplating next steps in their life and knew that they would be making a geographical move as a retired couple. Where would they go in this next season of their life? They would be retired, yes, but still very active in their 60s and with a lot of ministries left to do but they would be doing this in a different way. So in their what's next conversation, our colleague asked his wife, if anything happened to me, where would you want to live? And she replied without a moment's hesitation, I would go and live near our daughter in Massachusetts. This daughter is single and has a passion for organic farming. She loves it. She's trying to make a living by it, but the pay scale is pretty low. She lives in a beautiful area overlooking the water. It's a vacation destination, which means winter rentals are easier to find, especially since she's a local. But during the summer, there's a lot of moving from couch to couch to couch, and never knowing for sure exactly if she was going to um, have a home that, that summer. Our friend described his daughter as housing insecure. I've never thought about it that way before. And he said to his wife, you know, that is exactly what I would do. And that's where I would go if anything happened to you. So why don't we just do this now and skip a step in between and make another move? So they decided to build a duplex home. They found in a wonderful piece of property on an old farmland. And they decided to provide separate housing for themselves and for their daughter living in a place they love 
and in which they have some dear friends and churches in which they would be active. Our priest colleague was already contemplating a volunteer chaplaincy ministry with the Coast Guard. Housing insecure, that's a very powerful word. In our former congregation, we had a, week, a weekly soup kitchen, often feeding up to 90 people every week. We talked a lot about food insecurity, but housing insecurity is also a huge need. As I took these reflections to the gospel, I thought of Mary and Joseph on their way to Bethlehem, away from their own home, and looking for a temporary space, where would they go? Would anyone take them in? They too were housing insecure. We know the Christmas story as it has been told to us, layered um, generation after generation, um, all of the aspects of the Christmas story kind of conflated into one fun, beautiful, Christmas pageant, no room in the inn, finding shelter in a stable, which may have been a cave, a young couple lonely and isolated, animals around them, but no people, Jesus laid in a manger, shepherds traveling to see them. We have all seen the beloved Christmas pageants, the innkeeper turning them away, and so on. One of the things I love about this parish is our preaching rota. It's so great to be able to sit and listen to amazing sermons by gifted people. And every time someone preaches, I take something away and I learn something new. When Dave Mahan, one of our wardens, preached last summer on the parable of the unjust steward, he introduced me to a biblical scholar, the Reverend Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Michelle Sig, our other warden, told me more about him after the service. And in her amazingly learned way, she said, oh yes, he wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle, Middle Eastern Eyes, Cultural Studies in the Gospels. And I ordered it a few days later and highly recommend it to you. He has a connection here with St. John's. I think he may have been here on sabbatical, as so many gifted scholars do. Bailey begins his book with these words. For 60 years, my home was in the Middle East, a childhood in Egypt and 40 years teaching New Testament in seminaries in Egypt, Lebanon, Jerusalem, and Cyprus. My academic efforts have focused on trying to understand more adequately the stories of the Gospels in the light of Middle Eastern culture. This book is a part of that continuing endeavor. So why would I mention Dr. Bailey's name tonight? Well, I went to his book and there is a whole chapter on the birth of Jesus. It's fascinating. I won't go into all the details of this chapter, other than to say, in his knowledge of Middle East culture, Bailey's hypothesis from knowing this culture is that it is likely that Mary and, and uh, 
Joseph and Mary were taken in by local peasants who provided space in the main living quarters of their house because the guest area was occupied. So if you know Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, you can follow his, his information and why he has this thesis. Both Joseph and Mary had ties to this region and would have been known by others who would have reached out to them in their time of need and provided housing. Like many houses of this time and in the present, it probably had a lower level or divided section to bring in animals at night to keep them safe and usually had mangers to feed the animals. Bailey's thesis is that others extended hospitality to these traveling parents because they were known in the region. Somebody made room for Jesus, providing a home and a safe place to be. They couldn't stay in the inn because it was occupied perhaps by a family member or friend, but he goes into intricate detail to explain that the birth may have taken place in the central part of the family um, living area and somebody would have been, or somebody's, would have been in attendance at the birth. Now, of course, we don't know if any of this is true, but it was a fascinating picture of what Middle Eastern culture looked like in terms of hospitality. If somebody needed something, a place to stay, there was somebody who would make room for them. But back to our beloved Christmas pageants. Um, every Christmas Eve in our former congregation, we had a Christmas pageant, angels and and shepherds, and we even had the wise men. We conflated the whole thing um, at St. John's. There are no wise men in our Christmas crèche. They are traveling. Um, you'll see them in the in the windows there. That's more accurate to the biblical story. But one of my favorite Christmas um, Eve stories, pageant stories, is the story of Wally and the Christmas pageant. You may have heard it. Wally was big for his age. He was seven years old. Everyone wondered what role the teacher would give him in the annual Christmas play, especially considering the fact that Wally was a slow learner. Perhaps they thought we will have Wally just pull the curtain. But to everyone's surprise, the teacher gave Wally the role of the innkeeper and Wally was overjoyed. I mean, after all, all he had to learn was one line, which he practiced over and over and over again. There is no room in the inn. There's no room in the inn. There's no room in the inn. And he had that line down pat. Then came the night for the program. All the parents took their places and Every seat in the auditorium was filled. The children entered singing, Oh, come all ye faithful. The lights dimmed, a hush moved over the audience. The curtain opened on scene one. Mary and Joseph entered the stage and walked up to the inn. Please, sir, my wife is not well. Could we have a room for the night? Wally's mind went 
completely blank. He completely froze. He had rehearsed his line all night and he began, there is, and hesitated and had to start over and nothing happened. Well, of course, it was awkward. Everybody was embarrassed for him and poor Wally just didn't know what to do. Joseph thought he would improvise and started walking away toward the stable on stage left. And seeing him walking away, Wally in desperation called out, look, there's plenty of room at my house. Just come on home with me. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what this night is about? Come on home, come on home with me. That simple little statement about there being no room in the inn becomes a symbol for Luke. As he writes his gospel, it almost becomes a theme. Luke takes this one line, there is no room in the inn, and shows us how this phrase was recurrent through Jesus's ministry. The question that Luke leaves for us is, will there ever be any room for him? Making space, coming home, where is home for you? We all have many homes. When we think of homes, sometimes we think of our childhood growing up home. And yet, the longer we live, the more I think that home is evolving and changing. That was certainly true for me. I grew up as the daughter of a West Point graduate. We traveled all over the world and home was always changing. And then we stayed for a while in one place and, and then another. And when Chuck and I got married, the one thing I said to him is, please, I just don't want to move around all the time. I'm kind of hardwired to put down roots. Although I've come to understand that really life is more of a pilgrimage, that, that even though we want to put down those roots and stay, that it just doesn't always work out that way. Tim Hersey gave a personal testimony about his decision to make a pledge here at Grace St. John's. Back in his growing up home in Australia, he was a very active member of his congregation. Um, and I once asked him, so Tim, what did you do in your home church in your former congregation. He was involved in technology. He's on the vestry. He's our clerk. And he kind of said, well, you know, back when I was home, I did some work with the youth group. And I passed that on to Michelle. And the rest is history. But I loved Tim's story about how he gradually came to view St. John's as his home church. I think it was a very organic kind of process. He made friends here, he spent time here, he grew closer to the people, and suddenly he had a new spiritual home. And I do believe that it is God's design for us to have a home in a worshiping community where we make space for one another and for God, who leads us together by his Holy Spirit. I was reflecting on our time here at St. John's and how quickly the years have passed. 
This is Chuck's sixth, sixth um, Christmas Eve with you. I didn't introduce him earlier for those of you who are visiting. This is Chuck Hoffman, the other member of the clergy team, along with Paul Smith and PR. We comprise the pastoral staff, a kind of a trinity of people who serve. Chuck came here first and was doing um, Sunday Supply. And then after I retired, I came and joined him. And so this is my fifth Christmas and his number six. And in other churches, that might not seem like a long time, but at St. John's, it's a really long time because there's so many people who are coming and going. St. John's, I've come to see, is really a place of hospitality. It's a parish where we make room for people who are passing through and on the way. Half of this congregation is made up of graduate students who are away from home and find their way here to St. John's, which becomes a spiritual home, a church community. And those of us who remain here make room and space for these pilgrims in such a formative season of their life. You notice that our lectors this evening both are part of this demographic, uh, pilgrims that have come to spend time here at St. John's. Hospitality, making room, that's what we do as members of the body of Christ. You're going to hear an announcement tonight um, about um, anybody who would like to be involved and enjoy a community meal at Mike and Kate Glarick's home. And I think that's such an example of what it means to make space for people who are on their pilgrimage and in their journey, um, find themselves here at night. So if you don't have any place to go, to have a meal after church, um, you're gonna learn more about that particular invitation. The birth of Jesus is something which happens inside of us when we accept him as savior and Lord. And tonight we celebrate his birth. We're not just commemorating an event which occurred 2000 years ago. We are making room in our hearts for Jesus to enter in to live inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you that although this happens, uh, many of us can point to a time in our life where we came to faith and we made that commitment. It's also a commitment that needs to be renewed, not just annually on Christmas Eve, but really every day as we allow the spirit of Christ to, to um, inform us and guide us and lead us as we become transformed. And the most wonderful thing that happens when we make space for the Lord is that we end up meeting the most remarkable people because he has a lot of friends. Wherever we go in the entire world, we can meet friends of Jesus. There are times, and often this time of year, that we feel a little blue, that's why some churches have blue Christmas celebrations. I was talking to my 94-year-old mother this morning on the, uh, this afternoon on the uh, phone as we, we drove in. She lives in Atlanta. And we were talking about 
how hard this time of year is for her. She misses my father. She misses people that she loved no longer here. She misses her home in New Orleans. She's living in a retirement community. And I, I describe this time of year as a very bittersweet time. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, the church is beautiful. And there's a kind of a, of a sadness too, because we think about Christmases that um, have come and gone and people no longer with us. And I think the message of, of Christmas is that when we make room for the Lord, when we make room for Jesus in our hearts, that we're not alone. And we are invited to become part of a community and meet his friends. Making room, going home. We've been talking a lot about earthly homes and church homes. In our cemetery in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, part of the Church of the Messiah, uh, a gravestone marker is out in the back with one of the parishioners and has these words inscribed, life is a journey that is homeward bound. In a sense, we really are all, like our dear graduate students passing through, life is a journey homeward bound. Some of you here tonight may remember our, our friend uh, Lizzie Bickley, one of our student parishioner, uh, parishioners who um, left St. John's and was married last year, and she's now Lizzie Bickley Rugg. She was such a gift to us and a beautiful writer. And I'm going to close this sermon tonight with some words from our dear friend Lizzie. She sent us a Christmas card. Some of you may have gotten it. And here's what she said. And then I will say amen, and we will continue on with the service of Holy Eucharist. It's been a year of simplifying, from a two-bedroom rental home to living aboard a sailboat, from six bicycles to three, from shelves full of books to, well, fewer books. This Christmas season, it feels easier than usual to wonder at the Holy One sizing down from the immeasurable heavens to a donkey's feeding trough, all for the sake of love and greater connection. May this season for you too be rich in the paradox that less is really more and sacrificing to make room for love leaves no regrets. Amen. And Merry Christmas to each one of you.